This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. How sweet it is. The New York Mets complete the oddest, most insane, drunk homestand we've seen in a very, very, very long time. I'll sum it up this way before we go into detail on the three-game sweep of Cleveland. The homestand began with Justin Verlander getting booed off the mound. The homestand began with Starling Marte hearing boos because he looked awful at the plate. The homestand began with basically everybody hearing boos when the Mets lost game one of that three-game series to the Tampa Bay Rays. And really, it was rock bottom for all of us. And then the homestand ends with Justin Verlander getting a standing ovation as he walked off the mound after eight brilliant innings. The homestand ended with Francisco Lindor getting a huge ovation for hitting a clutch game-tying home run. The homestand ends with Starling Marte running, Lindor giving you a little check action and going first to third. Let's not forget, earlier in the day, Starling Marte hit a incredibly clutch Two-run home run. The difference between Tuesday and Sunday was insane. And if it reminds me of anything, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. I'll tell you exactly what it reminds me of. Very different part of the year, very different circumstances. But as someone that experienced the low of lows at City Field, when Wilmer Flores was crying and the Mets were getting shut down by the Padres to the very next day, I was not in the building the next day, when Justin Upton goes apo taco against Jairus Familia in the rain. That was the bottom of the 2015 Mets. And within four days, the Mets are completing a sweep over the Washington Nationals and taking control of the NL East. Obviously, the Mets have not quite taken control of the NL East. So it's not maybe going to give us the exact same result. But in terms of a building, And a fan base being as down in the dumps as it was to having such a complete 180 turnaround in such a quick manner, this is rare. And I know that baseball is a streaky game. We always talk about it. But I think you got to look at just how bad and dark everything looked Tuesday night. I was in the building Tuesday night. Everybody was getting booed. We, We did a drive home podcast about it. Go back into the archives. You can hear it. In fact, that's what you should do. If you're really bored with no life, Listen to the Drive Home Reaction podcast from Tuesday night, and then listen to this one. I mean, or or I guess listen the next night when the Mets pulled off the incredible comeback against Tampa. And when they pulled off that comeback, we had said what we had hoped. 
And what we had hoped is that that win would turn the season around. That win would lead to something big. But, hey, doesn't matter unless they win the series against Tampa, which they did. Hey, doesn't matter unless they go out and win a series against Cleveland, which they did with an exclamation point because they swept the freaking series. So I start off with just the emotional change we've all had in just five days. I feel good. I think everybody listening should feel good. Not declaring one in the World Series or anything like that, but I feel good. Pete, do you feel good? I feel incredible. Um, I'm on cloud nine now, especially because it's not just winning ball games; it's how they're winning ball games that's turning it special. And and that's what. It, listen, like you said, I'm, we're not we're not claiming a World Series right here. Well, what what I'm claiming is we have a season. Like before, I felt like the season was dead. And now all of a sudden, and listen, I don't want to say it's the youth movement of Vientos, but maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's like, wow, we just saw Guillermo get sent down. Maybe Marte and some of these other vets are going, I might be next. I think that, I think it was Lindor, maybe it was Pete Alonzo who said it after Friday night when he coined the phrase where the baby Mets, the baby Mets. I, I think it adds enthusiasm. I don't think it's necessarily guys being scared for their jobs, but I do think it's, Hey, the excitement of the youth coming up and contributing in a big way, which obviously we saw on Friday when Francisco Alvarez came through with the hit he had. What I would like to nitpick one thing on is it would be nice, especially going to Chicago, for the Mets to have a couple of games where they just simply kick a team's ass. That would be nice because if you think about this three-game series against Cleveland, and we'll go through all three games, obviously, they were all very close and could have gone the other way. I mean, the Mets, during this stretch of games they have played, and this goes all the way back to when things turned negatively against the Giants at the end of the West Coast trip. Every win they've had could have easily been a loss. Like, there hasn't been a game in over a month in which the Mets just simply kicked the team's butt and made it easy. This entire three-game series, the two games against Tampa Bay. uh, Actually, you know what? I guess the one game I would circle was the game against Washington that wrapped up the doubleheader. That was the one game where they, you could say, all right, they kicked the team's ass. And they broke that game open, and they won it 8-2. to two. Outside of that, every game has been life and death. And we got to start with Friday, because Friday night, and I know it made a few people laugh when you saw my tweet at like 1 o'clock in the morning, because that's literally what I did. I walked into my house Friday night, I did not go to the game. I think I announced that on the last Rico as if anyone really gives a rat's ass, but I did not go to the game. I was going to spend some time with the family and I'm not going to lie to you. Got the kids asleep and we started drinking. We had a fun Friday night before I know it. Me and my wife are dancing outside. I'm not going to get any more details. All I'll say is we had a very fun night. Then time to start the Met game. And I think I started this game at, it had to have been well after 10 o'clock. I'd say like 10, 10, 15. But something bad happened or something good happened. I was checking my phone very briefly, not my text messages, because I never check my text messages when I'm behind on DVR. I think I may have gone to the weather app, something like that. And I accidentally hit text messages. Okay. I did not see anything other than one word. And that word was, Wow. That's all I saw. And I'll tell you exactly who it was from. It was from Craig's kid, Sonny Carton. All right. 
Now, Sonny did nothing wrong because Sonny doesn't know. Sonny doesn't know if I'm behind on a Met game. But I very quickly just saw the letters wow, and I, I shut my phone off. Now, what's good is that he could have been texting me about anything. He could have been texting me about the NBA playoffs. He could have been texting me about a new feud his dad was in on social media. It didn't necessarily have anything to do with the Mets, but I'm crazy when I DVR these games. If there's any kind of hint of anything, my brain starts to play tricks. My brain starts to say, what was that wow about? Was it about the Mets? And I start to think about things. So I sit down, I watch this game. Immediately, Carlos Carrasco is Carlos Carrasco. I mean, hey, Carlos, we hardly knew you. Boom, he's giving up a three-run home run to Josh Naylor. Naylor? I barely know her. <laughs> Sorry. I know, it's too easy. So we're down 3 nothing, and I'm thinking, eh, maybe the wow was about something else. Down 4 nothing when Cam Gallagher, and that one really pissed me off. Cam Gallagher is hitting 070. He's won for his last 150,000, and he's coming through with an RBI single against Carlos Carrasco. To Carlos's credit, I give him a little bit of credit. After he gives up the four runs in the first two innings, and we know the state of the Met bullpen, the Mets did not want to have to go to their bullpen in the third inning. And I think at that point, Buck's probably thinking to himself, look, we're probably going to lose this game. Let's be honest. Let's just try to get five innings out of Carlos Carrasco. And Carlos had a one, two, three, third and a one, two, three, fourth. He did give up a run in the fifth. So it ends up as a five inning, five run performance. And I'm not trying to defend it. I'm not trying to tell you it was good. I just thought it could have been far worse. And considering the state of this Met bullpen, I thought him just being able to give him five innings, not that I thought the Mets would come back. I obviously didn't, despite what they did on Wednesday against Tampa Bay. It was just nice to see him at least settle down. And I'm not even going to say keep him in the game, but keep the bullpen from having to enter this game in the third or fourth inning. They're down 5 nothing. It kind of feels over with, especially in the fourth when they had a two-out opportunity after an error by Josh Bell when he literally just drops a ball at first base, which would have ended the inning. And before you know it, the Mets have 2-1-2 two two out for Mark Vientos. And I'm, okay, maybe the gates have been opened to an opportunity. And they did nothing with it. They finally got the home run by Francisco Alvarez, which is always nice to see from him. They got an RBI single out of Jeff McNeil. So they're starting to creep back into this game. It's five to two. Brett Beatty goes opposite field. It's five to three. And now I'm convinced, wow, the wow has to do with the Mets. We're going to come back and win this game. Now I'm thinking that because it's five, three, because they're back in the game. In the seventh inning, and let's get on buck a little bit, right? Let's, let's have some fun. Let's get on Buck a little bit. Seventh thing of this game, he decides to keep Dominic Leone in. Now, just to remind you, Dominic Leone pitches the sixth inning. He puts the first two guys on base and very fortunate to get out of it. Ends up getting a big double play on Miles Straw, which is almost impossible to turn. But the infield was not as deep as it would normally be. And they were able to turn a double play. I think they had the I think they were basically playing halfway. That's how they pulled it off, because there was first and third with one out. So the guys were playing halfway, gave them the opportunity to turn it. But Leon was lucky. So Buck, I guess, figuring, I don't want to burn through my bullpen in a game I'm probably going to lose, even though I wouldn't think that way at 5-3 in the seventh. I think I do have a chance to win the game. He lets Leon start the seventh, base it, base it to 8-9. 
walks the leadoff hitter, Stephen Kwan, and then goes to Stephen Nagosik, who doesn't make life much better. And Josh Naylor comes up with a big two-run single, and Cleveland, at the time it feels like, breaks the game open at 7-3, but very underrated moment in this game. Pete Hoffman would not want me to talk about this because he obviously hates Tommy Hunter. But Tommy Hunter, bases loaded, two outs, comes into this game at 7-3. Andres Jimenez could clear the bases with a base hit, could just rope one up the alley and end this game, and he got Jimenez to ground out. Now, I'm not thinking in the moment this is a big moment in the game, but it turned out to be because it kept the game 7-3, and then we finally retrieved what the wow was about. I was able to deduce that the wow was the Pete Alonzo Grand Slam in the seventh inning <laughs> because my brain does math too. If I accidentally looked at my phone a little bit before 10 o'clock, right around 10 o'clock, game starts at 7-10, it's a long game. You can already tell it's a long game. There's a bunch of walks. There's a lot of full counts. There's a lot of base runners. The wow was clearly the Pete Alonzo Grand Slam. That's what I deduced as he went opposite field. And that was so beautiful. That was how sexy was that grand slam by Pete Alonso? eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That was just everything. Oh, just everything about that. They get the first three guys on base. Nimmo draws a walk. Lindor comes through with a single. Uh, McNeil draws a walk. And then, I don't know why, that opposite field smash from a right-hand hitter reminds me of Piazza. Makes me think like I'm a kid again. And that was one of the sexiest Grand Slams you'll ever see. I don't know about you, but I, I knew it was gone immediately. Like, Gary took a second. It felt like he wasn't really sure if he saw what he just saw. Right. But I knew that was gone right off the bat. Yeah, I felt beautiful. I felt like 97% sure that thing was gone. Just the <laughs> way it came off the bat, the swing. And then Alonzo, and we all love Pete. Pete is the biggest doofus in the world. I mean, you got to love our big, our big doofus, Pete Alonzo. He's twirling around the bases. He's losing his helmet. He's putting his helmet back on. I'm not going to spend too much time on the Rico because I'm sure Craig and I will discuss this in detail. But Alonzo also has a humping problem, which we'll get into. He likes to hump everything when he's very excited. He humps the air constantly. But you know what? I'm going to save that for Carton and Roberts, right? We're not going to do too much of that here. I just love Pete's excitement. I mean, who doesn't love Pete Alonzo being excited about hitting a game-tying grand slam? Doesn't mean the Mets are going to win the game, by the way, just because they come back. You know, it's still the eighth inning. You still have to deal with the Met bullpen. There's certainly no guarantee they're going to win the game, but it was just awesome to see him fight back from a big deficit again. They're down 5 nothing in the fifth inning. 
they make it 5-3, and now they're down 7-3 in the seventh inning. Really feeling like last year. I said a lot on the Rico so far during this season. Last year, we win this game. Last year, this happens. Last year, that happens. This is the first time over the last week where we could say, hey, this reminds me of last year. The fight of this team. The comeback of this team. But as great as the comeback is, it doesn't mean anything if you lose this game. Props to Adam Adovino, who we will rip later, by the way. But props for a 1-2-3 eighth inning. Props to David Robertson for a 1-2-3 ninth inning that was capped off by just an incredible defensive play by Pete Alonzo. And we're not going to go on about this because I think everybody knows how Pete and I feel, but I, I don't understand how Alonzo is not respected as a defensive first baseman. I mean, the guy makes every play for the most part, and that is a clutch diving play against Jose Ramirez in a tie game in the ninth inning. It is what it is. I don't want to get nuts about it. We're not going to break down war again, but let's just point this out. Tie game, ninth inning, two innings after hitting that grand slam. Pete's making a headlong dive and then making the right flip to David Robertson at first base and getting through the inning. The offense didn't do anything, and that was the frustrating part. That's why we were set up in the 10th where Drew Smith, who's mostly been good, obviously makes a huge mistake. To of all people, Gabrielle Arias. That's what really kicked me in the balls on Friday night. Because when you take a guy out as a pinch runner, which is how Josh Bell got out of the game to begin with for Gabrielle Arias, and then two innings later, he smokes, speaking of opposite field home runs, smokes a ball over the right field fence. It's so deflating, not just because it's a two-run home run in the 10th inning, which is bad enough, but of where it came from. It wasn't Jose Ramirez hitting the home run. Wasn't even Josh Bell. It was Gabrielle Arias. But I said this last time when we were talking about the Tampa series. For whatever reason, I guess it's just the math. When you play these extra inning games with the Manfred man on second, being down by two is really being down by one. Because you already have the tying run at the plate. You go into the inning immediately knowing hey, I got the tying run at the plate. Obviously, I got to get more than just that runner from second scoring, but it's not this daunting task of, okay, I got to get a guy on, then I need to get lucky with a two-run home run. I need the bloop and the blast just to tie the game. You're already set up with the tying run at the plate. So Smith gives up the two home run, or the two runs to Cleveland, the Gabrielle Arias two-run home run, and we're set up in the 10th with the bottom of the order. I was fascinated to see how Buck was going to handle his bench because Cleveland's going to go to Emmanuel Classe, You've got Marte, Vientos, Canna, Alvarez. You've got Vogelbach and Escobar specifically on the bench because you're thinking about left-handed bats. Obviously, he lets Marte hit, hits a sacrifice fly, which is meaningless because that runner on second doesn't mean anything. He lets Vientos hit, which I only say surprisingly because remember, Buck Showalter a day earlier said, He thought about pinch hitting for Mark Vientos late in the game. Almost like we were lucky that Buck decided not to pinch hit for him. So obviously I'm thinking to myself, is he going to pinch hit for him? He doesn't. Vientos delivers RBI single. Now the RBI doesn't mean a lot, but now all of a sudden, boom, tying runs on base. We're in business. And he sends up Eduardo Escobar as a pinch runner. I thought maybe Tommy Pham... But I guess the reason he's going to Escobar, I 
I'm trying to think why, why, what was, there was, there was a thought in my head on why he did it at the time. And it made sense. Maybe it's that he wanted fam on the bench in case he needed another outfielder. And that's probably the case. Cause he did, because remember that now it all makes sense to me because he pinch hits for Canna with Vogelback. Now he needs the outfielder. So if the game goes to the 11th, then he was going to need Tommy fam. So that's why he went Escobar as a pinch runner. But I didn't expect Escobar it was going to make like Tim LaCastro and try to steal second base, which he does. I-, I thought that was stunning and awesome at the same time. Unfortunately, Daniel Vogelback blows. So he struck out after pinch hitting for Canna, which I wasn't, a- I wasn't anti the move. I kind of get it against a tough pitcher like Emmanuel Klasse. I'm also thinking Vogelback could draw a walk. It's actually one of his positive attributes. He draws a walk. Now, all of a sudden, you got the winning run on base. But Vogelback struck out, and it was a terrible at-bat. I think strike three was a pitch out of the strike zone, too. A fastball up and away, if memory serves correct, which can't happen. It's the one thing Vogelback does well is he doesn't chase pitches out of the strike zone. But then it sets up redemption. This was redemption for Francisco Alvarez. And here's why. Earlier this season... One of his first games he played, similar spot against Josh Hader. And Josh Hader ate his lunch and then shoved it back down Alvarez's throat. And it was an at-bat where it felt like Alvarez was trying to hit a 1,000-foot home run. Now he's facing a closer who, let's be honest, is better than Josh Hader. At least he has over the last year or so. And Emmanuel Classe, a tougher matchup, you could argue. And he's behind in the count 0-2. Tying run on second, two outs in the 10th. Game is over. I got. I have my, my finger on the remote because now it's late at night. I'm pissed, tired. I'm angry, a little disappointed. They lose this game 7-3. It is what it is. Okay, we lost the opener of the series. Let's see if we can bounce back with Scherzer and Verlander coming up. They come back the way they did to lose that game was going to stink. It was not going to feel good. So it's 0-2 on Alvarez. My finger is just sticking into that remote, ready to shut it off, ready to go to bed, and ready to pray I'm not going to have a hangover the next day. And Alvarez on an 0-2 pitch, hits that ground ball past third. Escobar's flying around the bases, and the Mets come back and tie the game. Oh, what a feeling. Oh, what a feeling. Now, I enjoy that for about... um, 30 seconds before I realize, oh, God, they have no bullpen. Oh, my God. What the hell is going to happen in the 11th inning of this game? (laughs) They had two guys left in their bullpen, Brooks Raleigh and Jeff Brigham. That's it. Brooks Raleigh. Raleigh. It's just it's so stuck in my head. I'm sorry. They got two guys left. I think Gary Cohen even made a joke on the broadcast. They need a home run because the bullpen needs it because the bullpen doesn't want to come out. For the 11th inning. But guess what? Brandon Nimmo infield single. And then when Lindor came up, for whatever reason, I knew the game was over. I, I And I, I think it's the combination of he's facing his former team. He had some really good at-bats in this game. He did. He had the double in the fifth. He had the single in the seventh. And Lindor is a streaky guy. So it feels like, all right, we're about to hit a good streak. It's his former team. The Mets have rallied now with back-to-back base hits in the 10th. I, I don't know why. I don't know why my confidence was so high. 
But I just felt Lindor was going to get the game winner, and he didn't waste any time. First pitch single, let the party begin, and the New York Mets were able to put together another remarkable victory. Very different than Wednesday, because I think Wednesday was desperation for a lot of us. The loss would have sucked, like I said, but I don't know. I think we would have been it would have been easier to rationalize and say, all right, you know what, go win the next two games, win the series, it's a good homestand, not the end of the world. That Wednesday game had to happen. So on a desperation level, the Wednesday win was more impressive. But from a baseball standpoint, this thing was nuts too. Five nothing, seven three, down by two in the tenth. I mean, three different deficits. Really two, but in my mind, three different deficits, and they come back and they win it. And just a remarkable win. That's why I tweeted out whatever time it was. Oh, my God, what a win. I knew everyone else had seen it two hours ago. But for me, I was letting out my emotions.